Gareth Jones on Speed News Drain. Alpine recently announced the Alpine A110R Fernando Alonso, a limited edition of the mid-engine sports car. This has occurred despite the embarrassment of Alonso himself leaving the Alpine F1 team. Rumor has it that McLaren are holding back on releasing an equally limited edition version of their Artura, dubbed the Oscar Piastri edition, just in case their contract with Piastri turns out to be not as concrete as they hope. Knowing his legal record so far, there's every chance they're right. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth, he's Zog. Hello. She's Sarah. Hello. And today, all three of us are wearing Dutch orange in honour of uh, Max Verstappen, who is the new uh, world champion of Formula One. I can say he's not the new world champion, though, is he, Zog? He's still the world champion. He's retained his championship, precisely. Yeah, that's exactly right. He's defended his championship successfully. No great surprise. I don't think anyone was expecting anything else by this point in the season. But the manner in which it happened was not so expected. There was certainly confusion around that, I think. It was ridiculous. He won the race and didn't know he'd won the championship. Yeah. For several minutes. No one knew. Here we go again. Formula One, like, who's won the football match? It's one team or the other. Formula One, sort your life out. I know it's complicated, but they should be able to crunch down the rules to prevent this sort of thing happening. Were you confused, Sarah? It was very confusing. It was, excuse my voice, I'm actually recovering from a cold. (laughs) It was very confusing, but even reading about it, it's confusing too, because Formula One didn't even write rules for this scenario. A shortened race, a stop race, and then it restarted, and so they didn't even create a rule on how many points they are awarded for, you know, such a scenario. I mean, you'd think they'd have all bases covered. And I tell you what, I wonder who made the decision and, and who's in trouble now. I mean, it's not Michael Massey. <laughs> <He> got... <laughs> well, it was a mess. I mean, I think when you read those rules carefully, the interpretation that was, well, there wasn't much interpreting of the rules. It's just that going into the race... Everybody, as far as I can see, you know, the teams, certainly the commentary team for the Sky coverage, which is what I was watching, mm-hmm. and I'm sure this was the case with a lot of the other international broadcasters, the media and the teams all were expecting the points awarded for the race to be adjusted because of the altered length of the race. Yeah. However... This was not the case because, this is my understanding of how the rules are, because the race had been red flagged and it then restarted and ran its full possible length and the chequered flag was thrown at the correct end of the race and there was no shortening of the race at the end, they awarded full points. The difference being that, if you like, the shortening of the race happened at the start rather than at the end of the race. If they'd cut the end of the race short, then the point situation might have been different, but they didn't. They cut it short from the start of the race, so it's four points. Now, the FIA knew this, and they apparently let all of the commentators and all the teams start the race, go through that red flag period, and then an extended delay while everyone was just waiting in the rain for a race to possibly restart. Yeah. And you know they allowed everyone to carry on labouring under the illusion that 
fewer points than full points might be awarded. Didn't bother to tell anybody that they were wrong. You know, you thought you thought they might have just tipped off somebody. And then you had this rather farcical confusion at the end of the race. And on top of last year's farcical confusion at the end of the race, yeah, it doesn't reflect well on the FIA, I think. I have to admit that I feel real sympathy for Max Verstappen. Wouldn't it be great if Max could just win a world championship and everybody in the room goes, yeah, that's it, that was the world championship, it was... Very clear that that's what we were doing. You know, last year was muddy. This year was muddy. Is he jinxed? Is there going to be some kind of controversy around every world championship he wins from now on? Is that just how he wins? And it's because there's so much at stake that it's in the balance. Even nuanced decisions have enormous payback, you might say, or consequences when it's down to the world championship i don't approve of it but it does add to the drama i love a bit of controversy in formula one it's outrageous it shouldn't happen but when it happens it's like oh here we go again new level of entertainment well no i'm gonna push back against that a little gareth because to me you know controversy and drama is all very well but sloppiness and stupidity is not yeah you know and this is just Stupid. I mean, look, Max will have plenty more chances to win world championships, and I'm sure he will win more world championships. No question, he deserved to win this year's championship. He was by far the class of the field this year. No question. Last year, you know, that's a rather finer judgment to make there. But this year, no. Max's championship, no question. It's just a shame, yeah, that there's this bit of fuzziness around it at the end. I feel like he would have preferred to have won in more sort of defined circumstances where he was just a clear, fair winner and it wasn't marred by controversy. Because I think even he said, or the team was expecting that because of the way the points were between the drivers, it was going to be next week or the week after where he probably would get the clear win. Yeah. So it's a shame, really, like you said. Well, in some ways, it's a good job it happened with, uh, what, four races still to go. Because if this had happened in the last race, and that's how Max would have won the World Championship, it would have been awful. But at least, you're right, there was that sense of inevitability. Well, if he doesn't win it this week, he's going to get it in the next two or three weekends. At least, you know, there wasn't any question about whether he deserved the championship. Yeah. Yeah, You can ask a very legitimate question about whether Max deserved to win last year's championship. There is no question about that this year. Hooray for that. And what a car, because the old adage, if you've got the quickest car, it really helps, but you need the best driver to get that car across the line. Well, there's more controversy on that, isn't there? Yeah, well, I don't know about the car, but but you, certainly the team, but the car itself. Yeah, well, the car itself is very good. And now there's like controversy over whether they've spent too much doing it up, um, in the words of the vernacular. <laughs> but the budget cap that they breached is last year's budget, not this year's, correct? Yes. Oh. So let's get into the budget cap thing that, that, that we... Okay, that's here we go. That's more of a mess if they're reviewing. That's more of a mess because if Red Bull, you know, overstepped the budget last year and the Max Verstappen won the way he did, I mean, it, it just doesn't reflect very well on the sport, don't you think? No, I agree, Sarah. I mean, it's absurd that the budget cap was agreed to and imposed without, it seems, a clear idea about what kind of penalties would be applied. Now, 
you clearly need to sanction teams in some way for breaching a budget cap. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no point in having it. Yeah. What kind of sanction do you apply? Is it going to be something that could possibly cost them a championship? You know, given that they breached the budget cap last year, is a points penalty or something like that that might cost them last year's championship appropriate to apply? I tend to think not, because I really hate the idea that you could have a championship decider, that somebody can win a championship, and then a few months later, because of a sort of a, a technical infringement that has been uncovered by accountants, nothing against accountants, but that they can then be, you know, robbed of the championship in retrospect. Yeah, we don't want that to happen, do we? That no, would be No, no, I think, you know, it, weird. You know, you could absolutely say, well, okay, you know, so-and-so won the championship last year, that year, but, you know, it's a little bit fishy because they overspent their budget, they bent the rules a little, so maybe that tarnishes it a little, but I think you keep the championship. So maybe you apply a sanction to the following year. I think that's just not a thing that's ever really done in motorsport, as far as I can recall. You always apply the penalty in the year that it happens, in the season that it happens. Well, I... But what else do you do? Yeah, you, it's a tricky you... one. I think hit them where it hurts and, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. So if they've made a financial infringement then the penalty should be financial and i think mm-hmm. because of the nature of the thing that you can't do it until all the accounts are handed in it's going to take 12 months then they ought to write in the statutes that if you go over five million then next year you will have a budget reduction of twice that 10 million yeah and that that would be uh, reasonable i think that that solves it i was discussing it with tycho if you start deducting points, you run the risk of exactly as you said, so suddenly negating the championship that happened last year. And you can't do that now. That's done. That's dusted. I think that's dangerous. If you deduct drivers' points, yes, I know the driver benefited from it, but this is a team administrational thing. The driver should not be punished for it. That's a separate okay. issue. So it has to be a financial thing, in my opinion. It has to hit the company or the accounting system that they've used. It is so complicated, particularly with Red Bull. The Red Bull Racing, if I think I've got this right, Red Bull Racing themselves don't build Formula One cars. They buy a package from Red Bull Racing Technologies, which is a car manufacturing department, probably headed up by the genius that is Adrian Newey. I keep saying headed up because I don't think he even ultimately designs the car these days. He manages the design of the car. That thing about him using a real drawing board, I'm not sure that's valid anymore. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, we moved on. So, yeah, hit the team, don't punish the driver, double it, plus interest, of course, because, you know, (laughs) the way interest is going at the moment. Or maybe, how about give them a weight penalty? Oh. If teams had to carry a one kilogram weight penalty for for every every million million (laughs) dollars that they overspend their budget... They're going to be very, very careful about you know, making sure they come in under the line. <laughs> I'd love to see the Red Bull car being so successful, so overspent. They'd need a hatchback boot for gold bars or something, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I say that as a moderately serious suggestion. I yeah. wonder whether there might be some kind of you know, safety implications with adding too much weight to yeah. chassis. I'm not quite sure. But yeah, it should be a penalty that is going to 
hurt the teams. It yeah. wants to be something that's going to cause them pain. Pain. Hot water bottles in the car. Sharper seats. No padding on your seats. Something that's going to cause as the driver who's suffering. It's an interesting way that this thing plays out. I was reading about this, you guys. It's a bit like pleading guilty or not guilty. If you accept what the board have come up with, they instigate what's called an accepted breach agreement. The first avenue that will be open to Aston Martin and Red Bull is what is referred to as an accepted breach agreement. This is where teams accept they have done wrong and agree to abide by certain actions that will be taken by the FAA's cost-gap administration. If you don't contest it, there is no need to set up what they call a cost-cap adjudication panel if you say oh no we don't agree and the panel comes in then the punishments are more draconian interesting it's sort of plea bargaining the financial rules are clear in terms of the potential sanctions that can be handed out for teams in breach of the rules oh god it's too complicated to read in great detail but in terms of the minor overspend which is classified as being less than five percent over the limit that red bull has been found to have made the cost cap panel can impose a financial penalty and or minor sporting penalty. One of the sporting penalties was to miss out on part of the weekend. Not the whole weekend, but you might miss third practice or first practice or or even testing in Barcelona before the season. But I think that has a danger quality to it. Forcing a team to have less track time to sort a car before they go to race it, I think that has a danger implication. So I think it will be financial. And I think that's fair enough. But what's happening in the rest of the championship? By the way, let's have a small round of applause for Max Verstappen. That was yeah, all the world champion. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic performance. Okay, well done, Max. Yeah. yeah. I mean, reluctantly, I clap. I've just never been a Max Verstappen fan. No, uh, we understand. <laughs> but well done, Max. There you go. Well done. You don't have to be his biggest fan to recognise an extraordinary talent, you know, really. And, you know, crikey. Yeah, he's good. And he's still at the start of his career. You know, he's. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see plenty more from him. This car, by the way, that he's in this year's Red Bull, I forget the number, the RB18, is it possibly? I'm not sure. Is, yeah, really. forgive me for saying this, the winningest Adrian Newey Formula One car of all time. It's won more races than any other Adrian Newey design. Is that partly because it's such a long season? Yes. I mean, if you were to do it by proportion of races won, I think McLaren would still have that. And that's how I think all these stats should be measured. We keep saying, oh, 281 wins. No, no, it should be percentage wins of how many races you had and points. There should be a consolidation algorithm to sort that out. There probably is somewhere. I'd love to see it. I think you need all the ways of doing this. You need all the numbers, all the possible things, because that's what, you know, sports geeks and fans of a sport are going to love having a load of different metrics to pour over and argue about and compare. So, yeah, <laughs> let a thousand flowers bloom. Is that the phrase? Let a thousand flowers bloom. That's beautiful. Chairman Mao. Sarah, have you got the constructors and drivers points for the rest of the season in front of you? Well, I will in about 30 seconds, yeah. Gareth. Yeah, good. Okay, I've with. just done the same. So the standings, do you want the constructor standings? Yeah, go. No guesses that it's led by Red Bull Racing on 619 points. Then we've got Ferrari on 454 points, so that's quite a huge gap there. Mercedes then in third on 387 points. Alpine Renault, 143. McLaren Mercedes, 130. Then we've got Alfa Romeo, 52. And then seventh place, Aston Martin, Haas, 
AlphaTauri and then Williams on eight points. So there is quite a gap between the teams. Yeah, Ferrari aren't going to win the Constructors' Championship. Could Mercedes catch some other enough points on the table? The interesting battle really is the McLaren-Alpine battle, of course, isn't it? Yeah, that'll be one to follow for the rest of the season. And the grid for next year is now almost settled. Gasly is leaving AlphaTauri. And have you heard, his whole tone has changed. Gasly is really very outspoken about his team now. <laughs> He's glad to be leaving by the sound of things. And Nick de Vries is confirmed, I think. That's good. For AlphaTauri as his replacement. Yeah, good old Nick de Vries. We're losing Latifi. Everyone knows what's going to be happening with Piastri going to McLaren, which means... But Daniel, you must have heard that we call him Daniel, Danny Rick, has said that he won't be on the grid next year. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> the funny thing is, it's like there's a whole, perhaps an uproar in Australia. They just think they're just going to skip that season of Drive to Survive. No one in Australia will watch it. <laughs> no one in Australia will just bother about Formula One for a whole year because... <laughs> but they've still got Piastri. You're depriving Piastri of all that support. Yeah, well, he's not really that favoured given he sort of kicked out Danny Rick. Yeah, fair enough. Who is most loved, adored... And indeed, and rightly so. By the hearts of all in in motorsport in Australia, and so to have another Australian who's got a bit of an attitude to come in and kick him out, mm. I wouldn't say he'd be the most popular Australian unless he comes on and he delights everybody with some sort of wit and charm, which I'm not sure Piastri has that kind of personality. But good luck to him. <laughs> so he may not be the most popular Australian racing driver, but. You never know. Hard act to follow Danny Rick in terms of likability. I can't imagine anyone who is more likable than him in Formula One in recent years. Although, to be honest, the more I hear from Vettel these days, the more I'm in love with Vettel. I think he's a terrific bloke. Anyway, long story. Danny Rick, the latest murmurs, as far as we can tell from a litmus test of the internet, is that Danny Rick could be Mercedes development driver so he'll be doing a lot of simulation stuff and if he's lucky he might get a test next year at Barcelona in the next year's Mercedes but who knows who knows I think put your feet up Danny go and have a couple of NASCAR races but thing is he would love that but you can't dip into NASCAR it's something that takes a long time to learn. Nobody, even the best drivers in the world, jump to a series, with the exception of Mansell, and win the series at their first attempt. So I think Danny Rick should have a holiday, do a couple of races just for the crack, and then not think about turning it into a career, but hopefully a, a seat may appear in the next year or two. Although I think it's becoming increasingly hard to compete with a 19-year-old who's just won everything in... F2 at the moment. Those are the guys who get snapped up by F1 at the moment. And Danny Rick is just at the wrong end of that sausage factory, isn't he? Yeah, but if he has a place at Mercedes, for example, as you say, you know, as a development test driver or whatever, he's going to be still part of the F1 circus. It sounds as if he's not ready to leave F1 behind quite yet. So a year as a development driver keeping in touch with the sport would at least mean that when silly season comes around again next year, maybe there'll be a place for him 
Who knows? That's right. That's probably his best chance. Well, it's his only chance of carrying on in F1 in any meaningful way. And I can see why he'd want to do that rather than give it up so easily and just move on to something else. Unfinished business. Yeah. Well, it might be a nice little step back to go forward. I mean, Alex Albon came back in doing that. And actually, when you think about it, Daniel Ricciardo is not going to be out of pocket, is he? Isn't he still getting paid out the full season for McLaren? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, he's only going to increase his wage. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, by already being paid for next season, so no problems there. So, he may as well just hone in on his driver skills, take the time off, and maybe just get better at his craft. Because he could potentially do better if he got to know a Mercedes car. When he left Red Bull... He was always sort of quoting the idea or, or saying, toying with the idea of suggesting that he'd really like to be Lewis's teammate, but that obviously never happened. Mm-hmm. So wild things have happened in Formula One in the past. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You never know. Yeah, yeah, Lewis is very positive and said, oh, he should have a place on the grid. But I think he also intimated that he'd be a real asset to the Mercedes team. Mm. I would imagine Danny Rick is going to be the most popular man in the paddock next year if he does turn up for races because like you said Terry, he's getting paid for not driving for McLaren he, he would be getting paid for being the test driver for Mercedes he's got double the wages drinks are going to be on Danny aren't they every night off that the driver's <laughs> there so. uh, Danny you get him you're getting paid twice he'll be immensely popular and they'll realise what an asset he is and hopefully give him a seat next year we live in hope don't we we live in hope absolutely that's correct gareth jones on speed news drain elon musk shocked his twitter followers recently by announcing that the tesla cyber truck will be quote waterproof enough to serve briefly as a boat so it can cross rivers, lakes, and even seas that aren't too choppy. We presume to understand this as meaning that the Cybertruck will serve briefly as a boat pretty much in the same way that a brick serves briefly as an aircraft. I was very disappointed to read over the last couple of weeks that the W Series was having money trouble. And then it manifested in the last 48 hours that W Series have called off the last two races of the season because of this money shortfall. But I was very happy to see that they announced that the W Series champion for 2022 is my cousin, Jamie Chadwick, who is now a three times W Series champion. That's good press, isn't it, Sarah? Yeah, that's fantastic for her. Yes, she's three years in a row. I was reading all the press releases and everything. Where's her prize money? Have I missed something? Did she not get prize money this year? Well, it hasn't been confirmed, but it has been mooted that she might not get her full prize money this year. I don't think she did last year. Forgive me if that's wrong, but I seem to remember seeing that recently. Unfortunately for Jamie, it could be that her prize money was cut because the W Series is under financial difficulty, isn't it? So they may have cut costs everywhere. Yeah, they can't pay all the bills, so some people are not going to get money that they expected. And maybe Jamie Chadwick will be one of those people. I was intrigued to see that when they raced in 
Singapore, they didn't have the usual W Series chassis. They actually used a local chassis. It was part of the Toyota Racing Series, I think it's called. TRS, is that right? But they have the same tubs. They're Tatus Formula 3 car tubs. But they have a different engine. The European engine is badged Alfa Romeo. I'm not certain who builds it for them, but it's badged Alfa Romeo. But the engine in the car that these in Singapore was a Toyota engine that produced another, I think, 15 brake horsepower over the European car. So it felt like a very, very different car to them. I mean, that's difficult enough, jumping into a foreign car on a circuit you've probably never raced at before. It's a tough series for the drivers. Oh, and here's the question. It's proved to be really good, W Series. It's launched Jamie Chadwick's name, hammered that home to a largely male audience i think that's true a lot of us knew that she was doing well in british gt before that but now it's made her a real international star but do you think w series is irreparably damaged zog will it survive to next year my feeling is it's touch and go yeah there's a good chance it just won't come back which would be a shame, although I think you have to say that in a lot of ways the series hasn't lived up to expectations. I mean, Jamie Chadwick has absolutely dominated this series. She's won every W Series championship that they've had so far. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to have opened up many other opportunities for her. Now, if a large part of the rationale for the series is that it will showcase and encourage and develop the talents of some of the best women drivers out there and when Jamie Chadwick has dominated it in the way that she has but yet it hasn't translated into other opportunities what does that say about the series I mean has W Series delivered on what we expected I don't know if it has because yeah Jamie Chadwick has outdriven all the other girls for the last three seasons and she's a clear talent but I haven't seen her come through the ranks in other driver series, which is dominated by the male drivers. So, yes, it's successful in terms of getting her name out and getting more girls on the field. And there is one driver series where a lot of those girls have been picked up from W Series, is the Extreme E Series. So there's a couple of W Series girls that are now in Extreme E, but I haven't really seen or heard of that they're coming through the ranks, unless I'm incorrect. I'm just not sure whether Jamie Chadwick has gone into other series that are more senior than the W series. So, yes, I think it's good for profile and it's good for women's sport, but has it got them on the grid, you know, in more serious racing series? In defence of W series, because I do believe in this, it's not unusual for only one name to break through from a lower category. That's true. Yeah. If you think of... Fair point. F2, we only ever really know the name of the champion. Do you know who came second and third and stuff? And I think W Series has planted a whole bunch of names in our heads that we weren't that familiar with before. The trouble is, it's a very expensive endeavour because they're following the F1 circus for a great number of races and their costs are greater than their guaranteed return from their sponsors at the moment. And as far as I understand it, it's one of their main sponsors, I'm not going to name them, who have defaulted on payment. And they were such a substantial sponsor that it forced them to cancel races. So they're running close to that budget line again. It's always all about budget, isn't it? 
But cancelling the next two races, because they've already got a champion, is actually a really smart move. It's rather like operating under Chapter 11 in some ways. It's like, right, we'll cancel the races so we don't lose any more money and we'll get things sorted for next year. So I am hopeful that they've made some smart decisions at this point and it will return next year. I think there's a hunger for it now. People, I think, know W Series. Absolutely. I mean, it's very widely promoted, especially being the undercard for the Formula One. It's a shame they don't have the next couple of races, but at least they did have some this year. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been incredibly frustrating for the W Series that some of their investors have pulled out. You know what they need, don't you? They need a drive to survive of the W Series. That would crack it, wouldn't it? That's a great idea, actually. They really do need to get some branding up there and getting some behind the scenes so people can get to know these girls. You're absolutely right. It would be a good idea. It's all about the personalities, isn't it? Yeah. And getting to care about these people. Jamie Chadwick is tentatively making moves in American open-wheel racing she had a seat fitting and an initial test for an indie lights team so that's like f2 for indycar to join what they call the road to indy which is you know you run in indie lights for a year or two and if you win that you automatically get a seat with one of the teams in full-on indycar and that's pretty good you know there is a history of women racing in indycar that has worked danica patrick uh, simone silvestro yeah. is the other one and um, mika dono who was wasn't that great if I'm honest but get in there Jamie get in there girl go and rock him I'd love to see her in IndyCar I'd absolutely be committed to every race if I knew that she was running oh Tatiana Calderon also running IndyCar this year before her sponsors defaulted again but things move a bit more fluidly in IndyCar than they do in Formula One was Pepper Man in IndyCar she was Zog yes a few years ago good luck to her with the Indy Lights test let's hope that goes somewhere can you remember which team it was that was testing? It was Andretti. Right, that was in the back of my mind, but I wasn't sure. Good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andretti, which is great. As we know, they're kingpins of open-wheel racing in America. Yeah, great team, great brand to be with, good name to be associated with. And if Jamie Chadwick isn't racing at Le Mans next year... It's only because she's committed across the Atlantic, but I would imagine she'll pick up a seat at Le Mans. There'll be a team who would love to run her, wouldn't they? Certainly wouldn't be the first W Series driver to race at Le Mans. I think Betzkevitsa has raced at Le Mans, hasn't she, Sarah? She was in LMP2, I think, two years ago. And certainly one, possibly two of the Iron Dames, I think, last year were W Series drivers. But I'm not going to say it. No, I am going to say it again. In my opinion, Le Mans ought to mandate a female driver in at least the GTM category immediately. That should be one of the deals. One of your three drivers has to be female. Maybe all the GT categories to make it even. Yeah, I've said it before. Why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? There's some great talent out there. And uh, if we really are putting the money where our mouths are and say, yeah, let's stop this patriarchy, then you've got to mandate that. bit of positive discrimination you might say i'm sounding like a feminist here (laughs) yeah and they have all kinds of little fiddly rules about what kind of drivers you can have in the car you know gold silver platinum bronze drivers you know drivers of different levels of skill so it would be nothing new to impose in a sense a slightly arbitrary mandate on what kind of drivers you can have in your cars yeah so uh, yeah it, it could certainly work 
Have you watched any Extreme either of you, while we're talking about alternative motorsport? Did you see the last race round the Copper Mine? I did not see the last race. I unfortunately didn't. I'm afraid not. So, Gareth, you'll need to tell us. Man alive. I'm still slightly confused about the way that Extreme E telecasts. It's like, hang on, what am I watching now? Semi-finals, finals, what's this, qualifying? It's all a bit complex, and that needs rationalising. But every time those cars went out on that circuit something extraordinarily dramatic happened cars roll my favorite bit was cars overtaking each other whilst in the air could you see any of it though this is the thing because yeah. you know yeah, what, you what, what issues with some of the previous some of the issues was that uh, you know once they've got going and they're kicking up all that dust or snow you just can't see anything you know that's a fair comment who was it uh, British driver in one of the cars Katie Munnings she got her windshield windscreen absolutely spattered with everything she was utterly blinded whilst leading the race and two others passed it was like wacky races it's great entertainment we could see the rest of the cars on the circuit they started squirting the track for the final rounds they damped it down to stop the dust and it just made it really okay. tricky for them to drive so it was treacherous conditions but cars overtaking each other in the air i mentioned that moments ago i kid you not there was a jump that they had to do and one car hit the jump slowly but the car behind it think i'm gonna pass and they literally overtook in the air it was like a thing from the a team or something like that it was hilarious it really really delivers entertainment i strongly recommend as a panacea to formula one now that the championship's over if you want to see some entertainment Go and watch the extreme highlights. I am a massive fan of it. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. That was it, really. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Good. I mean, overtaking the air, you're really selling it, Gareth. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I think we're going to watch it. It's like Hot Wheels. It's like cartoon stuff. You couldn't make it up. Can I tell you one more series? Like, this is one more series that you may not even know about. And there is one Formula One driver that has invested in his own team. Nico Hulkenberg has his own electric scooter team in the electric scooter series. Sorry, that is his own. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. No, electric scooter racing. I know. I was like, the Nico Hulkenberg uh, electric yeah. scooter series. It's called e-scooter, Sarah, isn't it? E-scooter, correct. Yes. Yeah, now that is a super, super, super cool new e-sport. <laughs> yeah, I'm right behind that. How much fun is scooter racing? <laughs> It looks pretty fun. I mean, those people are, you know, yeah. Do we call them athletes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're athletes, yeah. Yes. Also, God, coming off those things at those sort of speeds, it's got to hurt, doesn't it? They're, they're more like motorcycle riders. Well, they are two-wheel riders than, than car drivers, but I'm so impressed with what I've seen of it. I am seriously considering approaching Conwy Council in North Wales to say, look, you've got this amazing town in North Wales with a castle behind it. It's just like Baku in Formula One. Run an e-scooter race in the middle of town. There's a tradition of motorsport in North Wales. Sam did not have got the WRC, the World Rally Championship, British round. It's only, what, five miles away. Have an e-scooter race in town. It's electric. It's green. It's massive. It would be brilliant. I'd love to see that. So I, I'm genuinely considering putting together a proposal that that happens. Not just so I can go there and do the Welsh commentary for it. <laughs> I'd love to be able to... Nothing to do with it. But no, no, <laughs> yeah, no, good yeah. Idea. yeah, do it. No, nice idea. Yeah, an e-scooter street race. 
Yeah. Are there names in e-scooter? Do you know the names of the greatest riders in the series, Sarah? I don't. I don't, actually. Unfortunately, I've not been watching it that avidly, but enough to know that Nico Hulkenberg has got his own team. <laughs> Easy in everything. Okay. Is there any other business? Has anything caught your eye, either of you recently? But Sarah, I want you to tell me why you're going to Barcelona this week or next week. Oh, I'm going to Barcelona next week. I'm going to do a shoot with the World Rally Championship. I don't have the full brief yet, but I am going over to interview somebody. I mean, I think it's most likely a driver from one of the teams, but I'll watch this space. I'll tell you more (laughs) after the trip. We have a new world champion, Cala Rovenpera, son of Harry Rovenpera, and he's just clinched the world championship. I think he's the youngest ever WRC champion, and he is one of those mercurial drivers. He just seems to go faster than anybody else, just effortlessly no matter what all the other guys do he's quicker than me i don't know what i'm doing wrong you know <laughs> i love drivers like that you know he's the max for Stappen, you might say or the lewis hamilton of rally driving at the moment actually thinking about it he is the max for Stappen because his father was a rally driver as well and uh, his son was one yeah yeah same deal yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. cool all right zog anything caught your eye briefly not so much the motorsport front but the citroen ollie concept rather caught my eye maybe we'll talk about this properly another time but for anyone that hasn't seen it it is citroen's new urban electric car concept not a production vehicle yet and it's a bigger vehicle than the ami which is uh, you know they're kind of more quadricyclish junior e-car yeah which is also terrific in its way but the ollie is a more reasonable replacement for your super mini for your regular little family city car there are so many things i love about it the way that citroen seem to be embracing the possibilities that having a kind of a new class of vehicle to design products for affords you the way they're using all of the different materials plastics recycled materials there's a lot of repeated panels and bits and the look of it it's so rugged isn't it yeah it has something of the look of a mini hummer about it yeah but in a good way yeah and it also reminded me of you know, it immediately just made you compare it to the actual electric Hummer that, of course, was out early this year, I think. Yeah. Which is just a monster in the worst possible way. Yeah. You know, weighs three four or four tons. tons. Yeah. Does naught to 60 in under four seconds. A Leviathan. A Leviathan that is too stupid and yeah. dangerous. I mean, you know, at the height of it, the front of the grill is just so high up. It's not a car. It, it's a monster truck. Yeah. That ordinary-ish people are going to get in and drive and they're going to have a hard time seeing all of the things that they're about to probably hit. <laughs> Apart from small buildings that they will crush as they go along yeah, the way. exactly. Horrible thing. The Ollie, which is a clever pun, I believe, Citroen, it means all E, all electric, has this sort of lovely combination of looking very capable, but also being cute and unobtrusive as well. It's a lovely bit of design, but come on, Zog, it's Citroen. They yeah, historically seldom disappoint us, do they? Citroen has a wonderful design history. You know, they have a, yeah, they've got a great tradition of coming up with things that are left field that have real character but are also practical and good and work i'm not saying that you know, everything citrus ever done is there's good engineering in there yeah it's not just oh let's make this thing look wacky it's imaginative 
it's clever, it's delightful. People sometimes talk about this, you know, delight in good design. And, That's very and true. Citroen really, really understand that. All Citroens are delightful, even their least delightful cars, like the Saxo or the Visa, were still delightful things. Here's something delightful, right? I'm just going to wrap this up now, but I just want to mention something I'm sure you two have been aware of, and that is a team of students from the University of Stuttgart achieved a world record for the fastest accelerating electric vehicle in the world recently. Okay. They're 0 to 62 mile per hour time, 0 to 100 kilometers per hour, was, wait for it, 1.461 seconds. Right. This is how long that took. One elephant and they're doing 62 miles per hour. That's it. A second and a half, because it takes a second to say the word elephant. So if you say elephants at at a second and a half. And the car that they did it, this is the reason I've got to tell you this now, is tiny. You look at it, it's nothing more than a cart with a pointy nose. And of course, that's how you do acceleration rather than brute power. Something small and light and light. Do you remember the McMurtry spearling that broke the record at Goodwood this year? Another example of small being beautiful, capable of incredible things. So, yeah, small is beautiful. The Hummer's hilarious, and I'm glad it exists because it makes us laugh, but small <laughs> is beautiful. That's my end thought for this programme. Agreed. And I'm not saying that for any personal reasons, I promise you. I'm a perfectly normally sized person. You've been listening to Zog. Goodbye. And Sarah. Goodbye. See you guys. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!